I decided I didn't believe in God anymore. I was lost. I was an emotional wreck. I was on drugs, doing poorly in school, skipping school, and all other kinds of things. I remember looking at a magazine that time, and I think it was a parade magazine, you know, the magazine that you get in the Sunday paper. And they did an article on Jesus freaks, and there were all these hippies. That's what was called at that time. You know, with long hair and jeans and everything. Um, and they were Jesus freaks. They all were worshiping God. And, and um, I was a hippie at that time, and I thought, that, well, that looked really cool. And I had never heard or seen anything like that before. And about a year after I saw that article, I gave my heart to the Lord and became a Jesus freak myself. So I was called a Jesus freak then. So the reason that they were called Jesus freaks is because we did not look or act like a religious Christian or a traditional Christian or a Christian that, you know, in my case, I was raised Catholic and Jesus freaks didn't look like Catholics because the guys had long hair. Maybe they didn't shave. They were in jeans, and back then you didn't wear jeans to church ever. Everybody dressed up to go to church. So it was very unconventional. And um, so we didn't look or act religious, but we were totally and completely in love with Jesus. We were Jesus freaks. And many religious people thought it was like an abomination, one of the worst things possible that people in jeans and guys with long hair could really be Christians. And just as a side note, you know, in our age, in 2012, we need to be really careful that we don't make the same mistake, that we don't think that people that maybe have a mohawk or piercing or, you know, different color hair or lots of makeup or whatever that we think a traditional Christian would be, that we don't think that they couldn't be living for the Lord if they look different than us. We need to be careful about that. But in this particular time in the 70s, in the church world as I knew it, as when I got born again, it was the purest expression of love for God that I had ever seen in my life. Teenagers just came out of the woodwork to spe- just to spend an evening worshiping God. Um, people of all ages flocked to church to worship God, and we were all hungry for the word of God. And at that time, we didn't need coffee. We didn't need donuts. We didn't need cool lighting. We didn't need a smoke machine. We didn't need um, a perfect band. We didn't need games. We didn't need food. The only thing that we needed was God, and we went because we loved God so much. We just wanted to be there and experience God together as a group of people. Um, Back at that time in the 70s, I was at a Saturday evening meeting in Maryland Heights at a church, and there were just hundreds and hundreds of teenagers there worshiping God. God, excuse me. And a lady across the street um, looked out at the church And the whole roof was engulfed in flames. And she called the fire department. The fire department came, and there was no fire anyplace. It was a sign that God had given to show that those people inside that building were on fire for God and loved God. And it's a pretty well-known story from the people back there, and they know that that happened. And I was there, and a lot of people I know now were there at that time. But as time went on, those teenagers grew up. They got married, they got full-time jobs, and had children. And some of them stayed in love with God, 
Some of them stayed Jesus freaks, and some, some did not. Many did not keep their love for God. So that's what we're talking about tonight is our love for God. On Sunday, pastors have been talking about the Ten Commandments. So I'm going to read Mark 12. If you have your Bibles, you can look it up. Mark 12, verse 28. And I'm reading it out of the New Living Translation. And the religious people of that day, the teachers of the law, were um, questioning Jesus about the greatest commandment. And the Jews at that time were known to divide God's law into greater commandments and lesser commandments. And they were trying to find out from Jesus what he thought the most important law or commandment was. Some of the teachers or Pharisees might have thought that the most important thing was circumcision or ceremonial washing or the feast or temple worship or making sacrifices. So um, they were asking Jesus about this. So Mark 12, 28, it says, One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So as Jesus was saying that the first and most important commandment is to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And the second commandment is to love our neighbor as ourself. One Bible commentary describes love this way, uh, the Greek word for it here. Love acts intensely. Love is always active and will act in every possible way. For he who loves is always carried forward to the beloved object in order to possess and enjoy it. I think that's a very descriptive uh, way of talking about love. Just think about it with a, with a guy and a girl. That guy's going to do everything he can to pursue that object of his love. Well, that's the way we are to be with God. It's, our love is to be always active and act in every possible way. For he who loves is always carried forward to the beloved object in order to possess and enjoy it. And then the next definition is to be completely at rest or to be intensely satisfied because he who loves is completely satisfied in that which he loves. That's an awesome definition, too, that when we love God, we can be completely and totally satisfied in that love and be completely at rest in it. Isn't that awesome? Um, now, it talks about loving God with all thy heart. And I'm going to read some things that I, I found in a commentary um, about loving God with all thy heart. To love God with all of our heart is to attach our affections to Jesus Christ more strongly than on anything else and to be willing to give up all that we hold dear at God's command. That's loving God with all of our heart. I'm going to read that again. Loving God with all of our heart is to love God with all of our heart is to attach our affections to Jesus Christ more strongly than on anything else and to be willing to give up all that we hold dear at God's command. 
And then with all thy soul means to be willing to give up our life to him and to devote it all to his service, to die to our own desires. And with all of our mind is to submit our intellect to his will, to love his law and gospel more than we do the decisions and thoughts of our own minds, to be willing to submit our mind totally to his teaching and guidance. I think that's really awesome because our mind can go 100 miles an hour with our own thoughts, but when we submit them to God, that's part of loving him. And with all thy strength, with all of the energy that is within us to labor and toil for his glory and to make that the goal of all our efforts. I think that's awesome. Does anybody need me to repeat any of those? Uh, With all thy strength, with all of the energy that is within us to labor and toil for his glory and to make that the goal of all our efforts. And one way that I've found to keep uh, my love for God fresh is to continually remind myself of how much God loves me. I know when my husband shows love for me, it makes me love him all the more. When a friend shows love to you, it makes you love them all the more. In the Bible, uh, in 1 John 4.19, it's just a very short scripture, 1 John 4.19, It says, we love because he first loved us. So our love for God is just a natural progression of his love for us. He loves us, so we love him. It makes me think of the song, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. Understanding his love for us will make us love him more. So that's what I want to focus in on uh, tonight is how much God loves us. Because when we know how much God loves us, we're just going to love him all the more. It's just a natural byproduct of it. God often uh, speaks to us, to his people in the Bible, using symbols and illustrations to help us understand more clearly what he's saying to us. And one of the best illustrations God gives us of his love is in the book of Hosea. Anybody in here read the book of Hosea before? The book of Hosea, if you read it, and I encourage you to read it, is very bizarre. If you don't know what's going on, and if you do know what's going on, it's really bizarre also. (laughs) It's a very, very unusual book and because God told Hosea to do something very, very unusual. God used Hosea in his life to demonstrate how much He loves his church, how much God loves his people. Hosea was an Old Testament prophet. At that time, the people of God were pure and totally evil. The priests were evil. The people of God were evil in every way imaginable. But God considered his people's sin a whole lot worse than the other people's because God had a covenant with his people. And these people that were in covenant with God were uh, just doing horrible things. And God considered their sin spiritual adultery. Now, adultery is when there's a husband and a wife, and the wife or the husband 
you know, has a relationship with another person outside of the marriage. That's adultery. Well, the people of God were having adultery against God, spiritual adultery, because they were going after other gods. And so to illustrate what these people were doing and how much God cared for them and how much God was going to forgive them, he had Hosea, a holy prophet of God, marry a woman who was well known for her sexual sin. Or in other words, he had a good man, a holy man of God, who tried all of his life to live for God, marry what you would call a prostitute. Now, that's a hard dish to swallow, don't you think? But God was illustrating his love for us. When we were sinners, God took us as his own children. That's an awesome thing, isn't it? And this marriage kind of illustrates to us how much God loves us. And um, it's an illustration of God being married to his people. Now, does anybody know this woman's name? It's an awful name. Gomer. (laughs) Obviously, back then, it was a female name, a nice name, let's hope. But her name was Gomer. And so Gomer and Hosea are married. Hosea is a priest, a prophet. He's holy. Gomer is a woman that is filled with sexual sin. So they get married. And then Gomer commits adultery against Hosea. And she becomes the lover of another man, just like God's people commit spiritual adultery against him with idol worship, sex sins, envy, bitterness, laziness, gluttony, stealing, lying, gossiping, not walking in purity, not walking in love, not walking in faith, and the list could go on and on forever. And um, that's how we commit adultery against the Lord. We're married to him, and when we sin, we're committing adultery against the Lord. God had Hosea spend his money to buy this woman back from her lover and take her back again as his wife. Now, that's that says a lot. I mean, how can you do that? That is demonstrating a love that is beyond what we can even imagine. If we had a husband that was doing that and God told us to go buy him back, you know, go get, offer him enough money so he'll come back and live with you, would you do it? You wouldn't even consider it. Not in a million years would you go spend your fortune to buy back the man who cheated on you. You wouldn't do it. But God does that for us. God's love is so far beyond what we can even imagine. It's just awesome and wonderful. It's just a beautiful, the story of Hosea is just a beautiful but hard to understand illustration of God's love for us. How compassionate he is toward us. His unfailing love toward us. When we act the worst, God is still there to welcome us back, to say, you're my children Serve me, love me, I forgive you. God's made us his bride, and when we sin, he purchases us back with open arms instead of abandoning us. What should have been done to Homer 
Homer, <laughs> Gomer, <laughs> legally, according to God's law, what should have been done to Gomer is that she should have been put to death. She should have been killed. And especially being married to a prophet, even more so should she have been put to death. But God had Hosea purchase her back to demonstrate his great love. And that's just hard to comprehend, but that's how much God loves us. When we are unfaithful to God, God is faithful to us. And that's just so awesome. We're going to look at Romans, the fifth chapter. Romans 5, verse 7. And I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Bible. Now it is an extraordinary thing for one to give his life, even for an upright man, though perhaps for a noble and lovable and generous benefactor, someone might even dare to die. But God shows and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, died for us. Isn't that awesome? And it's not just, it doesn't just happen at the new birth. It doesn't just happen when we get saved that we receive that forgiveness because we all stumble and fall many times, sometimes many times in one day, <laughs> each day. And we need that. We need to have a God that cherishes us and loves us and will buy us back and forgive us. And just as God used Hosea to illustrate this point, we're going to show a video that's going to illustrate this point too. And um, to help us to keep God's love for us foremost in our 